Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Last week, we were at Solomon at the end of his life. And the week before that, we were at Solomon in kind of the beginning of his reign, where he had this dream, and, and God blessed him with wisdom and understanding and riches and honor and all these great things. And so today, we will find ourselves in the middle of his life, not quite green behind the ears as a king, but not quite a, an old king that just hated the outcome of, of his reign, basically, and was like, this is all useless. So we find like a really zealous and happy and excited King Solomon that's ready to do God's mission. Um, and if there was ever a builder, it was Solomon. During his 40-year reign, as I was going over this, Solomon built a palace, he built cities, he built a navy and a massive army, but everything that he built, none of it matched the significance of the temple that he built for God. He was the king chosen to build the temple. And as we go through this um, story today, as we dive into this, this passage of scripture, I encourage you to continue to read the daily discipleship that we allow you guys to, um, to have access to online and go through the Bible together because there's so much meat in this that there's no way I could possibly do justice to it in like 40 minutes, okay? So we encourage you to fully read the story yourself. And, and we're finding this scene, it's in 1 Kings chapter 8, um, and the scene is Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord. And so before that happened, he's him and, and all the Israelites are sacrificing. They sacrifice so much sheep and oxen that you couldn't even count them. They're constantly worshiping God and praising God. And so that's where we start today. Um, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 8, starting at verse 10, and we'll read through 14. You can look on the Sky Bible unless you have your own Bible. When you're there, say amen, please. All right, cool. Uh, verse 10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And no longer does God's presence just reside in a temple in Israel. Because of Jesus, we are now God's temple. You and I have become the temple of God, and we're going to dive into that a little bit. The temple originally was built, Solomon built it, to basically add fame to God. It was a tangible reminder to all of Israel and to the whole world, because if you read through Solomon's life, that different kings and different empires came to Israel to see what this guy was about, who their God was. And so this temple represented that, that tangible presence, like God is here. These are my people. And that's what the symbol or the temple represented. And it's interesting that the cloud filled the temple. And if you've been going with this and you know your history of the Israelites, it's the same glory cloud that came down on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's the same glory cloud. And it's the same glory cloud that filled the tabernacle when they were traveling in the wilderness and they set up the, the tabernacle of God and, and the glory cloud would rest in there. So the glory cloud represented God's presence. And by it coming and filling up the temple, God was reminding them, I'm here. I'm here with you. And that's what he does to us today. 
God's presence in this. If you notice that when the glory cloud filled the temple, the priests couldn't do their job. And this is relevant to us because God's presence not only shifts the atmosphere, but it stops people in their tracks. When you actually know God is there, when you actually see God moving, especially with unbelievers, when they see a miracle happen, they're like, there's something different. And that's what God's presence does to our life. And when Jesus came onto the scene, to the scene, we don't read where in the synagogues there was a physical manifestation of a cloud, right? And so it wasn't, it wasn't the cloud that represents God's presence then. It was the sign of his promise when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And being filled with the Holy Spirit resembled God's presence. And that's the same Holy Spirit that fueled John the Baptist. John the Baptist was filled with God's Spirit in the womb. And so when he was in the wilderness and he's preaching, he became a spectacle. Because that's what God's presence is. It's a spectacle to so many different people. And he was like, you need to repent. You need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to turn your hearts back towards God. And it was God's presence through him that it was allowing that to happen. And for us, maybe, maybe not you, but for me sometimes, I, I like reading this, I was like, man, how cool would that be? To know you're on the right track. Like we come into church Sunday and like there's just a heavy thickness cloud and like we don't have a fog machine so you know it's not set up, right? And there's just this huge thickness and you're like, what? And you're just, you feel God's presence. You know like there's something different. God is here. And we, I think a lot of times we want those spectacles. We want something. We want, like the Israelites, they were led by the pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night. Like, God, I know that you're leading me when I'm following the fire I can physically see, right? That would be a lot easier. God, what you want me to do is like, follow the fire. Okay, that's where I'm going. That would be awesome, right? And we think that if we see these things, we would become so faithful and, and so like devoted to God that we would never turn our back. But the Bible shows us quite the opposite. Because with Israel, they saw all these spectacles. They saw the cloud. They saw the fire. They were at the Red Sea. They saw it split. And yet, even though all these things happened, despite all these physical manifestations that Israel saw, they still couldn't fully commit to God. They constantly turned their backs on him and sought a new and different spiritual high. And this is relevant to us because God chose to put his glory and his character, his power and his love into every person that desires him. We all have the ability to be filled with the same glory that filled his temple. You have that ability now. If you want more of God, if you want to have a deeper relationship, you want more of God's presence in your life, all you have to do is ask for it and seek God on it. He's not trying to hold it from you. He wants you to be his temple. And where am I getting this at? If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's just two verses, 19 and 20. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's letting them know, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If God simply meant to convey through this passage that the Spirit just lives within believers... And that's it. It's just his resting place. Then he could have said home or residence or apartment. But you notice the language used here is temple. And because he said temple of the Holy Spirit, it conveys the message that our bodies are the shrine 
or sacred place in which the Spirit not only lives, but is worshipped and revered and honored. Your body is the holy place that God's presence gets to dwell. So what does that mean for us? Everything that we say, how we speak, how we behave, what we let in through our eyes to get in our temple, what we let in through our ears, that's what comes in to our temple. And it's like this. If you can picture Jesus, if he's in your life, and you have him sitting in the theater room of your heart, and he can see it's like a movie screen. He can see every thought, every deed you've done, everything you say, how you treat people. Would he feel comfortable in your heart? And that's an inward thing you have to figure out. If that's what God is saying, and you are his temple, do you look like it? Do you look like God's temple? Is everything that comes out of your mouth, is that sacred and holy? Is what you let go into your life, is that sacred and holy? And if we notice that this glory cloud that came into God's temple came to the fact of they were sacrificing beforehand. They were worshiping God. And so God's glory and power came through not only submission to who he is, but it came through worship and sacrifice. And through all their sacrifice and through all their worship and through all their submission, God didn't pour out his spirit on his people then. Because for God to truly dwell inside of you, Jesus had to come onto the scene. And Jesus in a fleshly body had to completely submit to God. He completely worshipped God in everything that he did. He lived the perfect life and he sacrificed his own life for you and me on the cross for us. And because he did that, God's spirit was poured out on all flesh that through faith in Jesus, we can be filled with God's presence. That's the power of what Jesus did. It's not so much that he set you free and you get to go to heaven, but now you can represent God everywhere you go. In everything you do, you can be a light to the world. You can change the atmosphere by how you talk, how you love people, how you represent God. And so Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is important to us because when the Holy Spirit comes down, it's like a rushing mighty wind, the Bible says. It's power. It was power and authority straight from God, and they received it. And it shows us that the mightiness of God chose to dwell in men only through faith in Jesus. So if that's the case, what's your call as the temple of God? What's your mission and we all have a huge mission, but what's your personal mission? What has God called you to do? And are you doing it? Are you representing God's, God's temple well? Are you being the temple well? Are you being the church? Turn with me to um, the next few verses. It's still 1 Kings chapter 8, and we'll go to 20 and 21. Just a couple verses over. It says, Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. And this is Solomon talking now. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And as a representation of God's temple, we declare God's faithfulness. That's part of your job as being a temple of God is that you declare God's faithfulness. But honestly, can we declare God's faithfulness if we don't understand how faithful God is in the first place? How can you declare faithfulness 
real faithfulness if you don't know how God has been faithful in the past. To truly grasp this, we have to look back, and, and even from the Garden of Eden, God had promised to bring a Savior to set everyone free. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but through the Garden of Eden, he promised that, and through Abraham, he promised that there would come someone, his family would bless the entire world. He would bless the nations through his family. God had promised that. He had promised it would happen. And he promised freedom from Egypt for the Israelites. And any time they messed up or whatever, God was sending judges and sending prophets and sending people for his people because he knew they needed help. He knew they needed assistance. And there were even times when his people didn't trust God, but God still came through. Have you noticed that in your life? Have there been times where you just didn't know how it was going to happen? Or you're like, God, I really don't know if you can do this. He's like, watch me. I'm going to do even better. And guess what? There's times where you don't deserve it. You're not living right. You're not reading your Bible. You're not being a witness. You're not being the church like you should be because we all make mistakes. And guess what? God still holds up his end of the bargain. That's his faithfulness. Whether you do it or not, he still does it. He still comes through. He still blesses people that hate him and curse his name. That's our God. That's the faithfulness he is calling you to do. And so the Bible is full of examples where God doesn't fail. He is faithful, and in doing so, he deserves honor and worship. With the Israelites, they failed. God was still there. He still sent his son. When us, when we mess up, even when we hated God, he still allowed you to be forgiven. He still allowed you to be set free. That's what his faithfulness looks like. And we notice that Solomon recognized a fraction of how awesome God was. Yes, he built this huge temple, but he knew this couldn't hold God's glory. Like, really, to think about the God that breathed everything into existence, that he spoke and it happened. Molecules and atoms were formed. This earth was formed. He created everything. You really think a, a little temple could hold God? No, that's not the case. And instead of, of, of God truly, that's his end goal, that he just wanted a temple. God did something different. He desires to live in his most precious and vulnerable creation, us. He doesn't want a temple. He doesn't want a building. He wants you. He wants your life. He wants your heart. He wants you to be sold out so you can represent him well. Isn't it funny that he chose to do that? That you and your state, I'm all messed up. He still wants to use you. And in doing so, of us being God's temple, we're called to declare and demonstrate God's faithfulness. Because people are, you may have heard him almost every day, you can hear someone saying, like, where's God in my situation? If they're being honest, where is God? I don't see God. Are you being there for them? Are you showing God's faithfulness through your actions, through your speech, through your encouragement for other people in this world? What does that look like to really declare God's faithfulness? Well, one example is keeping your word on something when someone else won't. If you promise to do something, if you say you're going to do it, do it. Follow through. Don't make your temple a lying temple. If you say you're going to pray for somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you, brother, and you forget. Like, that's not what God is calling you to do. Be truthful to your word. Stand up and, and, and ground, like, be grounded in what you say and what you promise people. Don't just give out all these halfway promises like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Really do things. 
really follow through with stuff. It's also how we declare God's faithfulness. We reach out and help someone when there is no reward in it for you. It can be easy to help someone out and be like, you'll owe me a favor later. Like, I know, and you're not, you don't tell them that, but you're like, I know, like, give it a little bit, and I'm, hey, bro, you remember when I helped you? Like, can you do that for me? It's, it's going after people and helping people when there's no way they could pay you back. There's no way that they could do for you what you're going to do for them. That's what God does for us. There's no way we in ourselves could be made righteous and be made holy. He did that for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And declaring God's faithfulness is also fighting battles for people that can't fight them themselves. People need help. People need prayer partners. People need people to stand up and encourage them and help them through their, their times of distress and whatever. And, and for people, especially those that are unbelievers, even believers, we need help. We need a community. That's why group, growth groups are so important. So we can band together with each other and pray over things, pray serious issues, and help each other out. You are to represent God's love and character to the world around you. Can we start looking at this as an honor and a privilege instead of like, ah, oh, I got to do this? Can we actually get to a place where we're excited to be used by God? You're excited to help people. You're excited to encourage people. You're excited to witness rather than, oh, I guess I got to do it because God tells me to. Why can't we be excited about that? How do we do this, though? How do we declare God's faithfulness truly? Well, you have to start by filling yourself up with God's word in prayer to not only prove God's faithfulness, but to remind you of his. You have to dig back in the word. And if you see, when Solomon, when he's dedicating this temple, you notice he put the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple. And this Ark of the Covenant had been with his people since ancient days when Moses was there, right? And he built it, and it was a solid reminder that this is my covenant with you. This is a reminder that I've been there then. I'm going to be there in the future. You can look at this and have a reminder. What do you think God's word is for us today? We can look back and see what he's done in the past, seeing how he's blessed his people, seeing how he's, he's followed through on everything that he said he was going to do. So when you find yourself in a shaky situation, you don't know how you're going to go forward, you can be like, God did it then. He's going to do it again. He truly wants me to succeed. He's going to help me and he's going to push me forward. He's going to encourage you in that moment. And it's key for us to remind us of God's word, to be filled with God's word. Because if we don't recognize how faithful he really is, then how could we ever declare his authority and peace and love in someone else's life? If you truly don't know who God is, if you truly don't understand his personality, you don't understand his love, how can you represent it well? How do you do that? It's like I've heard, I've heard it like watching a movie. If you watch the first five minutes of a movie and the last five minutes of a movie, can you explain the movie to someone? Be like, oh, yeah, it was great or not or whatever else. Why do we do that with the Bible? Why do we choose bits and pieces and little chunks here? Oh, I really like this verse. I don't like that one. Don't really understand. Don't know what it's about. So I'm going to stay away from that. Take the whole Bible. Understand God in all of who he is, not just the bits and pieces you like or don't like. And it's important for us to not only be filled up with the word, but be filled up and have an, a, a strong prayer life. You have to pray. 
Prayer is crucial to the church, and it should be continuous and real. It should be real communication with God, not fabricated or these, these insane mantras that you come up and you say the same five lines every day when you wake up. Like, have real communication with God. Really talk to God. And in, in prayer, I've learned for myself, and, and Shay has helped me realize, and other people that have discipled me, that prayer is not just, God, here I am, I come to you, I love you, I worship you, I need, I want, I got to do this, I need your help in this, I'm, all right, thank you, bye. Prayer is halfway listening as well. God agrees with me, okay? You have to listen to God when you pray. When you pray, it's not just you just talking and spewing, but sit and be still. And meditate on God's word. Listen to what he's trying to tell you. He's whispering. He whispers to you. He wants to let you know. He wants to help you and guide you. But you have to take the time to listen. When you pray, it's not just, all right, I'm going to set aside five minutes and I'm going to talk the entire time. And then that's it. And oh, God, I hope you speak to me. How's he going to do that if you're not still? And we live in a day and age and culture where we're constantly bombarded with information or text message or watching a video, and, and I do it too. I rarely set aside time often to, to have real quiet time with God. There's no music. There's nothing. It's just me and God. God, you tell me whatever you want to tell me. That's half of prayer. And if your prayer life is lacking, you will not be as effective as you could be. Guaranteed. If you do not have a strong prayer life... All, and no matter how zealous you are, it, you won't be as effective because, as God wants you to be because you're not listening. You're not going where he's telling you to go. You're not hearing directly from God. You're trying to do it all in your own power. There's such a magnificent power in prayer that I don't even think the church truly grasps today. I don't think we grasp it. Do you, do you understand that there's power in prayer? Do you get that? We talk about it. We think it's good, but do you believe that? Do you believe there's power in prayer? Let's, for example, let's say the next time we came and gathered to church, there was no worship team. There were no lights. There were no screens. There's not even a sermon. Would you come just to pray? Do you love God that much? Do you love each other that much that you would just come and spend an hour or two just praying with people, praising God, loving Him, talking, listening from God? Is prayer that important to your life? For me, I've, I've struggled with this becoming a Christian, truly growing in my prayer life, and I'm still growing. I'm not perfect by any means, so I'm not coming here telling you that I've got it all figured out, but I understand the tools that God has given us, and we have to grow in them. So if it's just you start with five minutes that you're praying, two and a half minutes you're praying, you're talking, two and a half minutes you're sitting still, make it even. Listen to God. Trust Him. And before... The disciples, we talked about this earlier, before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were all together in the upper room. And what were they doing? Praying. These guys were praying. Jesus had ascended to heaven, and he said, I'm going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the comforter. But until then, they didn't act or do anything. They prayed. And the Bible says they were in one mind and one accord. They were all praying about the same thing. They were all focused. They were all connected. That's power in prayer. When everyone's connected, when everyone is, is all in on one thing, we're praying specifically for the same thing, you'd be amazed at what happens. You'd be amazed at what prayer can do. So if you need power and you need boldness, pray for it. 
really. If you get nervous or you're worried about witnessing or worried about being an an out-of-the-closet Christian, as you can say, pray that God would bless you in that. If you need a miracle, pray for it. If you need something that, that doctors can't do or science can't explain, guess what? I guarantee you God could do it. I believe that with everything. I believe that God can do what this world cannot for us. I believe there are conditions that you have that God can completely remove and completely heal you from if you would seek Him in it. And there's oftentimes, if you've been praying and praying and praying and, and you're not getting anywhere, guess what? Grab a couple believers. Grab another accountability partner. Grab somebody and pray. Be in one mind and one accord about the issue. God, this is not going to happen unless you do it. And we're standing on your word. We're trusting you. You've got to do it or it's not going to happen. That's what is needed. That's what the church is supposed to do. And pray in faith and thank God in advance. Before it even happens, like, God, I thank you. I know this is going to happen. I know this is going to happen. And even if it doesn't happen, even if you're praying for someone to get healed and they die, that the cancer destroyed them, whatever, we have to go back to God's faithfulness and trust that he knew what was going to happen. He knew why that happened. You have to put your faith in God and be like, God, I really, I didn't want that. I wanted them to live. I wanted them to be healed, but you chose not to. So I'm trusting, even though it's hard, I'm trusting that you are, are, are making this right, that what comes out of this is good, because you have to understand we only see a limited perspective of what God does. We can only see so much. God sees the entire big picture. He knows the end from the beginning. So we have to trust him, and when things happen that we prayed for, that we didn't get an answer for, that God is still in it, and God is still moving, and God has not given up on you, and God is not not listening to you, that he is, and that he's there for you. And for us as Christians, there's more than just declaring God's faithfulness to the world. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8 again, to verse 54 through 61. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise. Someone say amen. Which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. And this just reading this, I got so pumped up because you can imagine Solomon's here and this glory clouds there and all Israel's there worshiping God and praising God. Solomon's like, yes, we're here. Like, God, we trust you. Let us always serve you. We're always in this. We're going to be your people forever. And he's so zealous, and he's so excited. And Israel's like, yeah, we trust you. You're the king. This is awesome, God. You're king of everything. And it's like, man, how cool would that be to see that? 
How cool would it to be there? And it's like, man, what if we were that enthused? What if we were that enthused when we come to church like, yes, it's church. What's up? We get to pray. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to go to witness. Yes. We're doing a mission trip. Awesome. Can we be excited about God's kingdom? Can we truly, as God's people, we advance God's mission? Is that one of your goals in life, to advance God's mission? Like, God, this is what you want. Use me. Let's go. I'm all in, Lord. I trust you. And the Israelites at this moment, they were holding on to the promise of God. God had promised he's going to bless them. He's going to protect them. He's going to guide them. He's going to strengthen them. God promised, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this. But much like the old covenant, there's a piece of it that we're under too in the new covenant that God calls us to do our part. It's not just, Jesus, I accept you. You're my Lord. Now I'm going to chill and you take care of me and I'm not going to do anything that's hard. I'm not going to sacrifice time. I'm not going to give to missions, whatever it is. That's not the case. If you follow that, you don't truly love Jesus. You don't truly obey Jesus. You're not understanding what he's calling you to do. And it, it was kind of sad. I mean, like I said, and you notice, I got a little excited about this. And because it's so cool to see their heart. But if you notice that their faith in God ended up fading. That all Israel, no matter how cool this event was, and they saw the glory cloud and everything they promised, if you read further, you notice that Solomon ended up turning his heart from God. He ended up worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols. Idol worship came in through Israel like a storm continually. They couldn't devote themselves to God. And for us to truly advance the kingdom and fulfill his mission for the church, we have to fight that fade. We have to fight the fade of, of not wanting to follow God with everything that we have. Because it's honestly, it's a discipline, and it takes time to follow God. It takes time to read the word. It takes time to devote, to devote time to prayer. Like, it's not something that just happens. Like, not every day you wake up like, I'm so excited to read God's word. Like, so excited to pray right now. I just can't wait. There are some days, I mean, I do. I wake up, I'm like, oh, too tired. I'm not ready for this. And oftentimes, it's, it's when it's mundane and even when it's boring, that your loyalty really shows to God. When you're not feeling it, when you don't want to do it, that perseverance God honors and God understands, okay, they truly love me. For example, it's like if we go to a huge Christian convention, right, and there's some awesome speaker that comes up way cooler than me and dresses way cooler or whatever, and, and they've got the fog machines and the super awesome worship band, and everyone's there, fills the crowd, and the, and the lights are dimmed, and there's light shows, and you're like, yes! And there's a great word that you hear, and like, oh, I'm so excited, I'm on fire for God. You can have those moments, you can have those spiritual highs like Israel dealt with, but it's through the mundane that your relationship with God grows. That's good. That's a great experience to have, but that's not every day. Is that your every day? Do you go to convention every day? Is it always super awesome to follow God? Is there always miracles happening? And you have to fight that fade because Israel did this. They were so pumped up and they end up turning from God and you notice that. But what happens when, for us, we don't see, see the power. We don't see the miracles happen every day or like we want to. Will you crack open your Bible then? Will you trust God then? Will you be faithful to God then when you're not seeing him work the way you think that he should work? 
when you're not seeing him answer the prayers, do you think how they should be answered? And it's not always exciting following a Bible plan or even listening to a sermon that you're not interested in. But it's worth it. Will you trust God when it's boring and uneventful? Because it's the same thing with, uh, with other stuff, with starting a new diet or a new exercise routine or whatever you want to learn. It's like, yeah, I'm so excited in the beginning. I'm going to lose the weight. This is awesome. And maybe you start it and you lose a couple pounds. You're excited. But what about a couple weeks pass and the weight isn't falling off like you thought? Or you're not so excited to get up and go work out like you were in the beginning? Will you continue to do it then? And following God is a lot like that. It doesn't always happen the way you think it's going to happen. And maybe we feel like when it comes to serving God that you expect every day, like, you're like, okay, Jesus needs to come back soon. Like, things need to happen. Like, guess what? The sick should be healed every day. I should walk around, touch coffins, and people pop up like the dead are being raised. Like, this is awesome. But you're not happening. It's not happening like that. And you're like, what? Like, I thought, I thought it was supposed to be like this. I thought I read about Jesus and everything that he touched and everything he did, there's, there was power in it. Why doesn't that happen to me? And what we wrestle with the most as disciples is, is what goes in, those disciplines that go into following Jesus. It isn't always eventful, and there are times where it's not only boring, but maybe you feel like attacked or persecuted for being a Christian. Maybe you're on that scale of like, Man, I really don't want to do this. This is boring. I don't want to, I'm not seeing miracles happen. Or you're to the point on the other side where you're feeling so attacked and, and so just hurt by other people because you claim Christ. And you have people that talk about you or degrade you or think you're crazy. They say you need a psychiatrist because you're talking to someone you've never met. Whatever it is. Have you all heard that? Am I the only one that's heard that? Like you're a bunch of crazy people. When it's hard like that and when you're constantly, it feels like you're getting no room to breathe, will you still be faithful to God? Will you still trust him in those situations? We cannot trust in our own power. We have to trust in his. We have to give our issues and our anxieties and our problems to God so we can truly advance the kingdom. And God honestly doesn't want someone just to walk around and perform miracles all the time. And there's a, a passage in Scripture in John chapter 6 where it talks about this, that people are following Jesus and they're seeing like, hey, he's doing all these amazing things and raising the sick. And, and they go and ask Jesus, they're like, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're like, we want to do what you do. And Jesus' reply was, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he sent. That's what I want you to do first. That's what God truly wants. He wants you to truly, before any of that, you have a real relationship with Jesus that you trust Jesus, that you give everything to Jesus, that you talk and communicate with Jesus, that you trust in him with all that you are. He doesn't need someone that's constantly just going to pray and pray and do this. He wants someone who knows him. Because there's that scary scripture verse in Matthew chapter 7 where people, it says, in the end days will go up to Jesus and like, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do wonderful works? all in your name. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. I never knew you. You're saying God can use someone that's not truly submitted to him? Yes. God can use anybody. God can do a miracle through anybody. But for you to actually be known by Jesus, you have to surrender. You have to give your all. He's, Jesus in that moment, like, you never trusted me fully. You incorporated me. You had a couple good quotes, but you never truly had a relationship with me. 
And so to do that, we must dedicate our temple and ourselves to God first. To advance the mission, we must know the one that gives it. And I'll finish with this. Are you recognizing the opportunities that God is giving you now in this moment in your life? To speak to people, to love people, to encourage people. Are you recognizing it? Because oftentimes we get zealous. We pray, God, send somebody or let something happen or let someone limping like come over by me and I can pray him and I see the miracle. Like, are you looking around you at who God's placed in your life that maybe the person you really don't want to talk to at all is the person that you need to talk to the most? It's the person that needs a touch of heaven most. And God has put you there for them. Are you recognizing those opportunities? And if, if you feel like this is below me or it's just I, I don't feel like I'm doing it because I do this a lot I struggle with God I'm not doing enough for you I'm not investing in enough people I'm not discipling enough people like I'm I'm trying but I'm still not doing enough I don't feel like I'm doing enough and in the Holy Spirit reminded me like just just be faithful with what you have now like let God determine your pace otherwise you're going to get burnt out and try to do things in your own power let God choose you he, he'll put more on your plate when it's necessary when you're ready when there's other people you need to invest in, he'll do that. Just trust God with the one person you have now or the family or whatever. Can we do that? Can we push ourselves to truly know Jesus? Can we push ourselves to read, to pray, to live it out? Can we be the temple in the church that God has called us to be? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.